<laughs> Science for the talent, please now. Okay. Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And I'm Sophie Robinson. And today we are donning our hard hats and brandishing our tape measures for our regular style surgery. Yes, this is our monthly episode dedicated to you and your design dilemmas. The hard hats are for any disputes we are likely to have rather than actual building inquiries. Yeah, we like to focus on issues of planning and detail but that's not to say we can't get into the weightier issues of bricks and planning commission can we kate Uh, and on that note how's your building going well there is a meter wide meter deep hole in the middle of my kitchen floor which cannot be filled until building control come and look at it but um is is i don't know where he is (laughs) on the day of recording it's snowing so there's a high chance he won't be able to cross from one side of london to the other (laughs) So I don't know. So we await. And once he has signed off the hole, which I nearly fell in because there's no electricity in there either. And I had to get to the dishwasher. So we're in this situation where we have no kitchen, but we have a dishwasher alone in the middle of the room on the other side of the metre deep hole. Down I nearly went. It all sounds very, (laughs) very, very stressful. Well... It's um, it's been it's it's been a while. Shall we go with that? <laughs> but I'm confident that we can fill in that hole tomorrow. But at this point, I am basically ninety percent dust and ten percent fury. <laughs> You're always <laughs> furious. I'll tell you why I'm grumpy. There's a reason for this. I'll go on then. Buckle up, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, when you're doing some exercise, 20 minutes, yeah. 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever, however long your exercise of choice. And the last five minutes, you, you literally think you're going to die. It's really hard. And that is because you can sort of see the end and you're not quite there. So that last five minutes is really difficult. It doesn't matter how long it is or how fit you think you are. And I think because this is all meant to be done... In about three or four weeks, we can sort of see the end. Yeah. We can almost touch the end, but we're not quite there. So we've just had enough of it. This is where you need to get on some like proper Ibiza rave anthems going. And you're going to need to pump some tunes through the house, Kate, to get you through the last... Have you met me? <laughs> through the last... Minute. I don't think Ibiza rave <laughs> However, however, we have a lovely decorator called Joey... And uh, he's a big fan of uh, of eighties tunes. Yeah, and, okay. And I'm here so for that. all you hear coming out of the kitchen is loads of things. He does a particularly good rendition of "Eye of the Tiger." Which <laughs> should he happen to do it when I've got my recorder nearby? I'm going to record yes. it. And this morning he just dispensed with the radio. We just got a cappello "Eye of the Tiger" straight in. It was marvelous. <laughs> I might just now, when the decorating's done, I might just hire him to come round and sing at us yes, for a bit. Yes, I think so. To get you through the tough times. <laughs> yeah, come exactly. on, Eye of the Tiger, you can do it Rocky style. <laughs> Rocky Balboa, yeah. that's you, Kate yeah. Watson Smythe. You can do this. That's me. Yep. Moving on. I think we should get down to our listeners' problems, don't you think? Yeah. So our first question this week comes from Rachel. She's got an issue with her landing. Niche. Hi, Sophie and Kate. I would love to know what you think we could do with our landing. It's um, quite a big landing and there's um, two lots of stairs. Um, at the moment, it's a very boring, whitey, creamy colour. And um, we've tried to put pictures up the walls alongside the stairs to make a nice gallery wall. So we've got loads of photos of where we've been on holiday and pictures that we've bought on our travels. 
but it's just looking a little bit boring and it definitely needs decorating so I would love to know your thoughts on what we could do I've tried to put a dado rail in I'll send you a photo too but we got a bit lost about where the dado rail needs to go so I would love your advice please thank you bye what a lovely problem to have and Rachel does send in pictures Shall I just explain for people who haven't got clairvoyant vision what we've got here? So, yeah, it's a double-ended landing, which means she's got... You go up some main stairs and then you branch off left and right to opposite ends of the house. It looks like quite a contemporary house. These are sort of modern... Would you say they're sort of 60s, 70s plankwood balustrades? Yeah. So my first thought, Rachel, is hold the dado rail. Back (laughs) off from the dado rail. (laughs) Put it down. And you're right. I think dado rails going up hallways and landings, you end up with lots of weird angles anyway, especially when you've got a split uh, staircase as you have. So that is not what, that is not the answer. And also you're confusing your architectural periods as well, which makes the whole thing feel very uncomfortable. Um, There's beige fitted carpet, magnolia walls. It needs some life. I like your gallery wall idea, but they're still floating around a little bit. You've got a lot of wall and a few tiny pictures. So my first thing would be to get all the pictures just on one wall and almost have a gallery wall rather than bits of gallery across the walls. That's not really working for me. It's better to create one big, huge art statement in one place rather than trying to spread it out. So that's my first tip. I would say in terms of the the dado rail, which we've all backed off from, but you can if you wanted to, and this may not work for your landing if it's going off in several different directions, but for other people in, in modern or 60s houses, that's probably not modern anymore, is it? But things that are not regarded as traditional period Victorian homes, you can do the painted effect. So rather than fixing a dado rail, which might not go with the sort of cleaner lines of a 60s, 70s property, you can use paint either halfway up the wall just get a laser so you can paint a straight line so you've got a flat finish and you've created definition you can also and I've seen this done on stairs to great effect I think it might have been a little green publicity shot where what they'd basically done was they just painted a really nice colored stripe over the top of the skirting board and you could do that you know if you just wanted a flash of color to do rather than going with the whole half wall Or, again, sticking with the paint, if you've got what you feel is a sort of slightly disparate collection of paintings that are different sizes and they don't necessarily go together and you haven't got enough for the whole wall. And gallery walls, some people think, are an issue on stairs because if you've got small children clattering up and down, then they might knock them. That happens to mine a lot. There's been some casualties. Exactly. So your temptation is to keep them higher. So you need to decorate something underneath. But what you can do if you haven't got enough to fill the space is paint a square using a leftover tester pot or a colour and then, you know, stick a bunch of paintings in that square and that brings them together. It's almost like a frame. So that would be one way if you haven't got enough pictures to fill the space. Yeah, I think overall, Rachel, this space is intimidating you, isn't it? It's big. It's got really, you've got a lot of height here as well in your landing. It goes up and up and up. And your pictures, as Kate said, are tiny and nothing's really making a star statement. I mean, my God, this room can take colour. Of course, I'm going to say that. Either a coloured carpet could look amazing or a striped carpet or a pattern going up there would look awesome if you're that way inclined. Otherwise, like Kate's already said, get the colour on the walls. If you can't do the whole thing, I think painting a line is a genius idea. Or even just painting the ceiling like a really bright colour could look really good. Now, on uh, the subject of ceilings, from your picture, I can see what looks like 
I've just caught it off the top of your picture, maybe a little chandelier hanging. So this is my other tip with this space. When you've got a really large sort of triple height ceiling in a landing, get a nice, big, fat, ginormous, oversized, sexy light fitting. I've got a feeling that looks like a bit of a piddly chandelier and isn't big enough for this space. So yeah, you've really got to fill and own this big, giant landing and it could really look quite majestic and fabulous I think if you rose to that challenge and I think on the subject of colour you know obviously when Sophie mentions colour all over those of us who are more muted in our style shall we say (laughs) go I can't possibly paint it all in a really bright colour it doesn't have to be a really bright colour but make it a colour rather than just a cream or a white so it could absolutely be you know a soft pale blue or a muted sage green or or a very straw like yellow you know Pick a pale colour and do it up the walls and over the ceiling. If you think of your staircase, it's kind of, it's the spine of your house. It's rolling up the middle and it's the support and it lends itself. A, it can take colour, pale or dark, all over it because it creates a sort of central column, literally. And then it gives you, when the doors are open, you can spiral off into other rooms and maybe pick up hints of that colour. So it can almost be your stair carpet or your walls can be the opportunity to introduce your kind of base colour for the house and that's where you have the most of it and then you bring in bits of it in the other rooms so it might be a curtain here a vase there a rug in the other one or some bedding so that the whole thing is cohesive but that's your kind of starting point with the pictures hung on the wall and also you know A lot of galleries, of course, it's not called the gallery look for nothing. It used to be that all art galleries had white walls to show off the paintings. But I think feelings have changed a bit on that now. And I think we all agree that that paintings do look great on more strongly coloured walls. So you will hide the fact that you perhaps need to collect more pictures if you've got more of a statement colour behind them, because you're looking at the statement colour and the pictures on it, rather than looking at a white wall, which might not have quite enough pictures that are hung too high to be out of reach of sticky fingers. (laughs) The, the, The mantra for all of this, every single time is, it sort of doesn't matter what you do, you've just got to make it look like you meant it, like it was deliberate, like it was a decision. So you've got to make it look not like you hung your small pictures so high that people couldn't reach them, but that you incorporated the pictures on that part of the wall as an overall design statement that went with the colour of your walls slash carpet. Gorgeous. So what we're saying in short, Rachel, is uh, is go for it and don't don't leave it beige. It's killing us off. You're right. You need some colour and make some bold design statements in there. Thank you so much for getting in touch, Rachel. And can I just say that if you want to have your design dilemma featured on the show, then send us an email and possibly a voice note to thegreatindoorspod at gmail.com. Now, who's up next? Right. We have a question from Francis Carr who says... I'd like some thoughts on painted shutters, please. I'm going to colour drench my front sitting room in Farrenball setting plaster, so that will be the colour facing inward. The colour framing the outside of the window is a creamy white. Do you think I should paint the back of the shutters to match the inside, which is setting plaster, or the outside, which is cream? I'm hoping this makes sense. The outside fronts the pavement in a historic area, so the appearance from the outside does matter. Uh, Well, first of all, for anyone who's not aware of colour drenching, that is the current fashionable way of saying you're going to paint the same colour all over everything, wall, ceiling, 
skirting boards, doors and everything. And it's a really stunning effect and I love it. So that's going to be great. My second question is, I don't think you can paint the back and the front of your shutters different colours, can you? Or have I misunderstood that? That sounds like a fiddly nightmare. It does sound like a bit of a fiddly nightmare. I mean, I think from your point of view, Francis, you're going to be enjoying the view of your shutters mainly from your from the inside sitting room. So I 100% encourage you to paint them in the setting plaster. I think matching your shutter colour into your wall colour, as long as you do the window frame and everything, get rid of all the cream from the inside um, perspective, will look super, super cool. I mean, one of the best ways to paint shutters is spray painting them, because as Kate's already highlighted, they are super fiddly to do with a brush. And that would make it really hard to have one colour on one side and one colour on the other. And also if you've got shutters that tilt. Well, this is what she doesn't make clear, actually. We don't know from this, because if it's a historic area, they might be... Yes. Yeah, they might be panel solid wood shutters. If they're solid wood shutters, then you can do different colours and then you can do the colour facing the street whichever one you want although again be aware if when you fold those shutters back what is on the outside when they're open becomes inside the room when then you might need to have them all the same colour if they're California or louvered shutters then there's no way you can paint them different colours because you'd get the tilting one way so my guess is perhaps they're historic solid ones and I still think you know because you're going to see different sides of them depending on which way they're folded I'd go for the whole thing and that then you're colour drenching if you have them cream you've lost your colour drenching effect because you've then got your ceiling your walls your woodwork and a bit Mm. of cream yeah, no, that's a good point. Lovely question though, Francis. I, I really want to see pictures of that. Colour drenching is a great it's a great trend at the moment, isn't it? But I think it's also a really lovely thing to do in period properties. It really brings the whole look together and makes it feel a bit more contemporary. It's gorgeous. Right, next up we've got a dilemma from Nicola, who reckons that her issue will apply to a lot of people, both in the UK and abroad. So Nicola says, thanks for the wonderful podcast. It's really the highlight of my week. Thursday morning commutes are always such a joy now. Nicola, flattery will get you everywhere. We are here for that. Anyway, on to the question. Nicola has a question that she says is fairly applicable to a lot of people, both in the UK and abroad. How can I add character and warmth to my new build flat? I need a rug, more cushions, table, floor lamps and some artwork for a starters. I have bought a rustic wood and metal coffee table. I'm happy with my paint colours, white ceiling and all. Sorry, Kate. Hmm, We can come to that. And as boring as the sofas may be, they're extremely comfortable and were affordable. But don't worry, I have plans for cushions and throws. Obviously, I'm aware that adding those bits I mentioned will probably help in this room, but I've got the same problem in every room. What advice do you have for people without much budget, but who are stuck with a sea of spotlights, builder's acne, super low ceilings, boring boxy rooms and no architectural features to speak of, especially if they generally prefer a slightly more characterful look? This is such a common question and such a good one. Are you going in, Sophie? You go first. Yeah, Yeah, I think it is an excellent question. And do you know what, as well, isn't just applicable to new builds. My house is 1910, I think. Um, It was two farmer's cottages that were kind of botched together. um, And then it's got a 1980s extension on it. 
But as a result, because they were quite humble farmers' cottages, there are no original fe- features in here really. And I was left with quite boxy rooms with small cottagey windows. And what I did in the upstairs, two of the upstairs bedrooms, was add a little panelling because I just felt these sort of three, they're sort of three and a half meter square bedrooms, the perfect right box. Again, it's an old cottage, low ceilings. Uh, I got UPVC windows. I don't even have lovely original cottage windows. So I added a bit of panelling to get some texture on the walls and break it up a bit. So um, panelling is really, really affordable. I went for quite a country style panelling because my house is in East Sussex in the countryside. So I think you've got to think about the type of panelling. I think in a new build, if you go to Victoriana and you go a bit too heavy on the mouldings, it's not always the right fit. And interestingly, Interior Design Masters has just started on BBC One. If you're here in the UK, everybody's going to be watching that. And because they're on such a tight budget on that show, you see a lot of panelling going up to add interest. So you can get lots of contemporary panelling ideals from strips of timber to large panels uh, batten to the wall uh, it doesn't just have to be tongue and groove and kind of you know the the victorian framed molding ideas i think as well paneling great uh, i have reservations about going too heavy in paneling in modern new builds what's your reservation then gone you've got to quantify that i think you've got to be just really careful that you're not trying to create something period in what is very obviously a modern a modern building but i think you can create the same effect or or add interest it's back to the paint tin and i saw a room i'm going to try and describe this it was a fairly boxy room but what they'd done is they'd paint. So imagine you've got a wall with a window in the middle of it. They'd painted the window frame and that wall and about 30 or 40 centimetres in from the window, over the ceiling and down the sides in the same colour. So it almost created like a kind of shadow effect at the back of the room. It zoned it. It was really stunning. And I think that you can do that in any colour you like. And then the rest of the room was just the other colour. But it's about it's about using paint and remembering that you don't just have to pick a colour and put it corner to corner on all four walls you know you can now paint half a wall paint a diagonal across a wall paint a stripe if you don't want to actually do paneling if you don't feel you know handy enough to fix the paneling yourself use the paint as a decorative tool and think about whether you're using it to zone or whether it's just interest and the joy of paint is you can paint over it it's as affordable as the kind of paint you choose to use and you don't have to get involved with sawing bits of wood or glue guns or corking it which for me I am not handy I find that quite frightening um if I was doing it myself whereas paint feels somehow easier so that that would be my kind of first way of adding character to to new builds um another thing that I spotted actually the the clue is in the question about adding a characterful look so I think even in the style that you choose can uh can be really helpful here um one thing that I feel helps a new build is a little bit of vintage get something a little bit worn in there because it can all just feel a bit shiny shiny you have your shiny new kitchen your shiny new floors your shiny new door handles and that can stop a home feeling quite cozy and homely Um, and there's something about bringing vintage pieces genuine vintage not faux vintage like proper old bits and bobs Um, even some brown furniture depending on your personal style um, adds character but also a bit of patina 
I think just yeah, don't you think takes the shiny brassiness off a off a new property. And the other thing is, you know, we talk. It's become a slightly dirty word. This idea of upcycling. I think we we are we're moving away from the idea of shabby chic painting furniture. Oh, I don't and know. Didn't we say that to... was in again only last year? I'm sure we did a piece on shabby you chic might have being done. back in. It was in the Times. You might have don't done. you remember? <laughs> yes, I've, that I've, I've had words. <laughs> I've had words with Kat. Um, <laughs> That was last year. Shabby Chic was last year. I never said it was in. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> so, and the other problem is... and Oh, that's a loud drill. Oh, the drilling's going... And I can't stop them because we're on a deadline. There's a hole in the floor and a leak in the roof. So, you know, <laughs> I am not stopping them. <laughs> sorry, listeners. I'm really welcome, sorry. Welcome, welcome to my to world. Welcome to Watson Smy's world of builders. Yeah. I'm not right. I'm not stopping them. Um yes, that age-old problem of the of the the grid of spotlights. So I wonder whether you can potentially fit a dimmer or possibly just don't turn them on. Get yourself <laughs> floor lamps, <laughs> table lamps. You know, don't assume just because you've got all these spotlights in the ceiling and you don't like the light they're giving that you have to use them all. And obviously, it's expensive to take them all out and rewire and change it. And that might not be in your budget, particularly if this is not your forever home. So just bring in more portable lamps and don't use the spotlights unless you're actually you know, trying to thread a needle. No, that's a brilliant idea. I mean, even in my kitchen, which has got a lot of uh, recessed spotlights, again, because my ceilings are quite low, the kitchen's very dark, I just need it well lit. But I've popped a little lamp on the worktop. It's my little penguin lamp, and I love putting them on of an evening. Creates a lovely little glow in the corner. And then I can knock off some of the overhead lights um, if I need to. So great tip. There we go. Now, talking of dilemmas that affect a lot of people, it's time to hear from Debbie with that age-old dilemma about what to do about toy storage. Cue audio. Hi, Sophie and Kate. Thank you so much for your podcast. Me and my husband uh, love listening to it, especially in the car. We are trying to figure out some toy storage for our living room. We don't have a separate playroom. We don't have much room left in our living room for like big pieces of furniture. Um, but we're starting to feel a bit crowded out by our toddler's thousands of toys but I guess we're just looking for some nifty storage ideas maybe it's storage that makes use of vertical space somehow or like quite narrow but I would just love to know what sort of ideas you've got for toy storage and how your listeners maybe do toy storage thank you I'm a bit closer to the toy storage years than you are Kate actually I am just coming out of them Arthur is about to turn 12 so it's definitely a turning point he has a lot less stuff so my headline piece of advice to you Debbie is don't spend too much on toy storage because it is just for a short time in their life so for example one of the most expensive yet most effective ways of adding storage to your home is bespoke fitted storage isn't it of which I'm a big fan but I wouldn't go spending thousands on fitted toy storage unless you think you can flip it to something else later down the line I'll share with you what I did which was really cheap oh my god so effective but I'm going to put it out there not that pretty were these stackable plastic uh, tubs with lids because what I found about toddler, well, this goes all the way up to probably about eight, nine, ten, is they have a lot of really small things. So there's the wooden Brio train sets. Well, I remember that. There's the marble runs. Yeah. 
Lego. There's the Duplo Lego sets that then turns into smaller Lego sets. Then we had this awful game, which was like plastic straws that you put together to build these amazing kind of like construct. I mean, there's just so much stuff, isn't there? So I bought simple stackable lidded boxes that stacked on top of each other and they almost created a tower and I had a tower of them in the corner of his bedroom so in terms of square footage it was only kind of like a foot by two foot or something for a big tub and then up they went and then what's been really good is I've then been able to pass them on to other people I'm like here's a tub of brio off you go to my friends who've got babies or I can take them to the charity shop or resell on ebay or whatever it's just a really portable way of keeping them organized without investing in expensive furniture we did similar. So we went to Ikea and bought, I think it's the Billy bookcase, uh, which is also tall and thin and it can be and you must fix it to the wall because, you know, certainly my youngest tried to climb up it more than once. You can get boxes, either wicker boxes, rattan boxes, plastic buckets, boxes. There's all sorts of, you know, depending on your decor. They've got a box for everything in Ikea, haven't they? They've got a box for everything that slots in and you can find one that goes with your look. Um, and I then had the toys sorted into this one's Lego, this one's trains, this one's dolls, this one's teddies, whatever it was. And and there is a little bit of discipline, which is, you know, you can have two boxes out at the same time. But if you want the third, you've got to put the things away and then, you know, then I will get you the toolbox down. And so there's a little bit of teaching them to understand that, you know, this is a space for everyone. The other thing I did, and I think you can now buy dedicated for things for this, but it was an absolute rule in our house because we had two Lego fanatics that you could only tip the Lego <laughs> yes, out or onto a, a towel. And then... and. Or a blanket. And that meant that it was easy to pick up and tip back into the box at the end of the day. I've since seen, I think people, you can make even, you know, like a big circle with a drawstring so that you can pull the string and that becomes a bag of Lego. But, you know, mine are now in their 20s and that didn't exist back then. So... Um, it's it's things like that which don't take up much room, and I I'm, I mean I think the sad truth of the matter is, like Sophie says, tall and thin crates you can stack, tall and thin shelves that when the toys move on you can replace those boxes with books or or working from home office paraphernalia or whatever you can repurpose it. You sort of have to stick with it because the bigger they get, the smaller the toys get. And it is a period in time which passes. I tell you another really good little tip uh, on this thread that I, I've seen on social media somewhere, whether it was Pinterest or Instagram, I can't remember. And I might do this because we are about to do a bit of a remodel at the house. And I've got a lot of living room storage where I put all the board games and jigsaws and all of that kind of stuff. And we've got a lot. We've collected a lot of jigsaws and board games. And that is to buy those sort of plastic zippable envelopes. And you can get them quite big. You can get them sort of A4 or they go up to uh, A3. I use them actually in my design studio to keep fabrics and flooring swatches in. Um, but what somebody had done to save space was they'd got all the jigsaws and emptied them into the envelope, uh, cut the image you know, of the jigsaw out off the top of the box and that's then a flat picture and put it into this envelope and then they're all stacked they take they just take up a drawer then and you've got all your drixels and all your board games in a very small space because a lot of board games is just a lot of plastic tray packaging inside isn't it yeah that monopoly is a classic isn't it <laughs> yeah exactly and so and then the same with um jigsaws it's, it's all air you're storing air in a cardboard box essentially aren't you so i thought that was really clever if you're tight for space and again even toddlers with all their little jigsaws and their number counting games and their spelling games you know they tend to add up 
uh, a lot of stuff. The key to that is it will pass. It will pass. Get some good systems in place and don't spend too much money is my top advice. And now let's find out how we can help Jordan in Toronto. He says, I'm writing to you from the condo overrun metropolis that is Toronto, where residents are lucky to live in anything other than a small shoebox sized apartment. I've run into an issue in my bedroom where because of the small size of the space, there isn't much room for anything else but a bed. And because of the tiny constraints of the room, it's impossible to centre the bed within the room. So my question is, when it comes to hanging art over a bed, is it best to centre the art over the bed or centre it to the room? Or does it need to be centred at all? Perhaps I'm being too prescriptive, but the Virgo within me likes to have everything perfectly centre aligned and I haven't been able to find the proper combination of art, bed and wall space to make it all work. Not sure if the solution is to just turn it into a feature wall and forget the whole centering a single piece of art conundrum, but would appreciate your thoughts on making it work in this tiny space. Jordan, that's a brilliant question. I love these sorts of questions where people are basically in a kind of like eternal cycle of worry and concern on self-doubt <laughs> yes we've all been there Jordan we've all been there I, it's interesting because I until I had my son my younger son who was born uh, three months prematurely and therefore is a Virgo and I'd never met a Virgo before and this this is quite a thing isn't it it's got to be tidy it's got to be organised it's, it's got to be right it's got to be symmetrical so Jordan I mean there's part of me which which we can give you all our opinions all the way along. But I'm an Aquarian and, you know, it's it's different. I look at my son, it's different. So, I mean, I think what I would be tempted to say is you've got to listen to your gut and your Virgo gut. Oh, no, that's the last thing Jordan should do is guts getting into all kinds well, of Well, I think he's going to know, though. I mean, I would say, you know. I'm going to take over because I've got an answer. <laughs> This Aquarian is flick-flacking all over the place. Jordan, what are you? let me hold your hand. Are you, are you're... I'm a Libra. Oh, well, there you I'm go. I'm a Libra, so, yeah. you know, I'm all about the balance, yeah, man. So not. I'm all about the balance. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've got Scorpio rising and they're really grumpy. Right. Sorry, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, Jordan, are you sitting down? This is what thou shalt do. So, first of all, your art needs to be centred over the bed, not the room. And this goes for any room. I think a lot of people get het up with the walls and the rooms and the ceilings. But actually, when you're in a space, you're very much navigated by your furniture layout. So I'd say this is not just for small bedrooms, this is for every room. So if you've got a sofa, for example, up against a wall in a living room, you centre the artwork to the sofa, not to the centre of the room. So that's an easy one if that though makes your head hurt because you can see that because you're a Virgo yeah then I think your feature wallpaper idea is actually genius and you could have a favorite piece of artwork blown up really big it doesn't just have to be a standard repeat wallpaper it could be a mural you could get a good big photograph or a big painting get it blown up to the size of the wall which given the size of your bedroom shouldn't be too expensive (laughs) (laughs) and that will then obviously work with your bed and with the wall And I think as well, making it a big, bold style statement like that in a small room could really elevate your bedroom. Uh, Because my other tip is, if you have got a piece of art, make sure it's really big. You don't want a piddly little painting hanging over your bed in a small room. You know, trick the eye, go for big art or a big mural. Um, Another thing that I've done in small bedrooms that can be really good is really big headboards. And these are headboards that also maybe stretch to the edges of the room. I've seen this done really nicely. So rather than the headboard 
ending you know at the edge of the bed it stretches out to the end of the room and then you put a couple of lamps in or wall lights can look super cool so i think actually small bedrooms can be little jewel boxes of a design uh you've just got to have some gumption to uh, go for it don't be timid and the other i think it's really interesting that that idea of the big headboard because that does get you out of that dilemma and i mean obviously we don't know where the door is and the window and the relation to everything else but a big headboard solves that problem at that end and don't forget if you're lying in bed you're not looking at the art anyway which is why i say we don't know where the door is and what you're seeing but if you have the big headboard you could also have your big statement wall actually at the foot of your bed so you can see it when you're lying in bed and another way to kind of trick the eye which I've done actually when I had um, weirdly in a lot of Victorian houses the fireplaces are off centre so you get one fat alcove and one thin alcove which can be you know if you if you need symmetry that can be slightly weird symmetry not symmetry (laughs) You can just trick the eye and, again, make it look deliberate. Have your one big piece of art and then you can just hang a smaller one to the side of it, a bit lower or next to it. And it's almost like a kind of full stop. And then that looks like you deliberately had a plan to incorporate both pieces of art and you'll slightly knock off the whole centre thing because you won't know if it's the big one that's in the middle and the small one to one side or whether you were centering it around the small one and the big one so you can just kind of play with scale that way and hang something you know at an angle I've got one other thought that might send Jordan into a meltdown oh dear he's a Virgo be careful I I know I'm really pushing you now Jordan but (laughs) (laughs) don't take any of this too seriously But there's something else about if your bed can't be symmetrical to the wall, I'd almost embrace the asymmetry. And I'm thinking, don't have a pair of bedside lights. Switch it up. So on one side of the bed, for example, you might have quite a nice large statement bedside light. And on the other side, you might have a little pendant light dropping down. Or a wall light, for example. Just saying, I tell you, a designer who does this really nicely, who you might like, Jordan, because she's also, it's very precise, her designer, Sophie Ashby. She does a nice asymmetrical bedside bed combo. Give her a Google. She's a British interior designer here. Very, very fashionable. Um, And see if you can't be inspired to embrace your asymmetrical side. To be fair to Jordan, he's not not said if he's got space for a bedside table or a lamp. Well, he should be able to have room for one lamp because (laughs) otherwise the walls would literally... (laughs) It's really small in the bedding. So yeah, if you haven't got room for two big lamps either side, yeah, do consider one lamp and then maybe a wall light or a a little, little, little tiny delicate pendle light dropping down. I think that could look super cool. As I said, small spaces don't need to be boring. They can be fabulous and interesting too. Now let's finally round this up with a message from Viv and what she calls her dilemma about beam and cream. Hi, Kate and Sophie. Love the podcast and have a design dilemma for you. We recently moved into a 17th century farmhouse in Essex and it's currently very dated. I describe it as cream and beam. So there's dirty cream carpets on the floor, dirty cream on the walls and dark varnished exposed beams. I'd love to introduce some colour on the walls, but I'm unsure about doing this with the dark beams. Are you able to share any ideas or suggestions or anything I can do with the beams to perhaps lighten them up and brighten the space? I'm going straight in. If you can paint your walls 
Why can't you paint your beams? What's stopping Ooh, you? Oh, contentious, this... isn't it? Oh, I can just see everybody clutching their pearls. Well, there's a, <laughs> there's a real sense that beams are beams and must, mustn't be messed with. And I know, because I've seen it in real life with my own eyes, that Sophie has beams on the ceiling in her office dining room and you've just painted them white or off-white to match the ceiling. Basically, you've painted them all out. So that's your first option. Absolutely put colour on the walls and whatever colour you paint your ceiling paint your beams to match it. Can I just caveat in, just because I can feel uh, this is an impassioned play. I agree with you and I've painted my beams and my husband said our beams aren't even original to the property. They were probably put in uh, to try and make that, as I said, um, you know, the house doesn't have a lot of character and I think our previous owner put them in to try and give it character and painted them black. So I had black stripy ceilings. Oh, God, it was hideous. So, Kate, you're right, I've just painted mine out. Um, There is a big theory that beams should be black or dark, but here's the thing. If you've got an original period property and it's listed, you need to check it out. You might not be allowed to paint your beams. So just want to flag that Mm. if you've got any heritage protection. Um, But originally, they would have just been wood, uh, wood oak beams that would have been very pale originally. And then, of course, we know with oak and wood, it just darkens naturally over time. And that's why they go dark. The Victorians got into a bit of a fashion for painting beams black. And it's just that. It's just a fashion. So again, unless you've got a period property and it's listed and it's integral to the kind of provenance of the building, you don't need to have black beams. It is okay, indeed, allowed to paint them. Well, my I grew up for a long time. We lived with my grandmother in a 14th century old farmhouse. And that was timber you know, timber beamed struts on the outside. And it was that that quintessential English Cotswold black and white timber house. But I mean, I remember as a child, every few years, the painter would come round and repaint all the black bits because I think they were just wood originally. And he would do it inside the house as well. So my bedroom was a sort of, it was quite a geometric sort of pattern of of white plaster walls and black painted beams at at all different angles. And there was never any notion that any colour could be brought in because how were you going to deal with the beams but you know you make that point the beams would have been presumably quite young wood when they were first used and they would have aged I'm thinking in very old houses from sort of wood smoke and internal fires and internal cooking which is possibly why they went black because it was basically (laughs) soot so you know you we don't have to stick to this notion I'm not suggesting if you've got a period house that you're going to paint your beams out in neon orange could could be cool you could (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's no reason why not. So I think work with them and find a way to incorporate them into the colour scheme you want, whether that's highlighting them in a different colour or whether it's just painting them out to match the ceiling or the walls around so that they recede and disappear and potentially make the ceiling look a bit higher because those dark beams can bring everything in a bit and make it darker. What we are saying, Viv, is, you know, this is your home. You're clear, you know, I feel, I mean, mine was all beam and cream when I moved into my house as well. Oh, the brown fitted carpet. I mean, just even remembering that makes my whole body shudder with horror. Um, It's time for you to inject your own personality. And yeah, I share a lot on my Instagram, the before and afters of my home. (laughs) There's no cream and there's no black beams left anywhere in my house. So my advice is go for it and make your home your own. Another week of dilemmas done and dusted. I do hope that's helped some of you with your own issues. As I said earlier, 
Do get in touch if you have your own problems. And if you have found this in any way helpful, then please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week with an interview with sustainability champion Jules Haynes. And in the meantime, you can find us over on Instagram where I'm Sophie Robinson Interiors and she's mad about the house. For now, thanks so much to producer Sarah Cudden of Feast Collective and thanks so much to you for listening. And we'll see you in the great indoors. Bada bing!